0: Well, we've just ploughed through and beyond the first quarter of 2022, so it's a perfect time for a recap on the key Australian shopping trends for this year so far. What's happening to customer loyalty programmes, and a couple of themes that keeps everyone talking: pandemic brand purpose and the rise of employee wellness. Some say it's rubbish, others argue there's profound change underway. So joining me for the sprint across these high interest topics is Joe Gaines, the never shy, Australian Vice President, retail and consumer goods for Salesforce. Joe is also executive sponsor for the Salesforce Women's Network across Australia and New Zealand. So welcome, Joe. Let's go. This should be a really interesting, fast-paced conversation. Conversation And first up, what's happening across online and offline retail activity, Joe? And what are the sort of the standout themes you're seeing that's emerging in how Aussies are uh, doing their online spending and how, how retailers are, are responding, really? And welcome.
1: Thank you, Paul. Uh, it's always great to be here with you. Gosh, we're seeing a lot. I
0: know. Where do you start, right?
1: <laughs> the digital surge, which I've been talking about since, since 1999, is finally here and here to stay. Um, we are, you know, our, our behaviors and our patterns have changed and what customers want from their shopping experience. Um, you know, we'll, we'll never go back to the way things were. I think now people are looking for different experiences, both in the physical and the virtual world. And, and when I say the virtual world, you know, we're also starting to think about the metaverse and I'm sure Paul, you've been reading a lot about, um, what's happening with the metaverse and beauty NFTs and, you know, that whole space because it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, and I'll probably ask you, is it how real is it? Is it a shiny new thing or is it here to stay? But that's not for now.
1: Yeah, well, I've got a few NFTs, Ooh. well I'm sure you do as well. Now what we want is certainly know me, understand me, but also convenience. Um, I want experiences when and where I want them. So some stores are now very much about experience and Mecca is a standout for me when it comes to experience. That flagship store in the city is a place where you can go and spend hours and have mm. experiences, facials, customizer perfume, all of those wonderful things that I love to do, my kids love to do. Yeah, I do too. I've done them all. <laughs> but also, you know, sometimes with some things, you know, when it comes to Picking up some some stuff for Easter, I want to just click and collect. I don't want to have to go and, and tra- trawl through, you know, rows and rows. I want to be able to find what I want and go and pick it up. Ideally, the next day, or sometimes I just want it sent to me. Sometimes I want the convenience of having it sent to my home, but when I want it, you know, if I want it on a Saturday, that's that's what I expect. Um, and so. You know, we as customers, we have new and um, changed demands and we will not go back. Um, but that combination of physical and digital is a really important thing to wrap your head around.
0: I'm also wrapping my head around, Joe, that the, some of the numbers that I've seen. For instance, we, we heard that you know online and e-commerce through COVID um, went crazy, which of course it did for many, many retailers. But then I look at some numbers, I think we talked about this earlier, is um, when I look at the Coles uh, annual results, their their total sales uh, were $20 billion and e-commerce and online accounted for $8.5 billion. Half percent, which is sort of one point eight billion. I thought that was a bit low, particularly for grocery through COVID, and I was expecting higher numbers. What are the Australian shopping numbers? Are we still catching up? And and how do you explain that? For instance, in a, in a big grocery retailer where I thought it was there was a lot of online stuff happening, not as much as I thought. Or am I wayward?
1: Yeah, I think you know it depends on the item, and when it comes to grocery shopping, we're finding that people, um, you know, they don't want substitutes a lot of the time they want to they want to find the brand and the product that they like and and they want to consume at home and often we're finding you know the supply chain woes continue and um and people want to be able to 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 go and get the product that their family loves Um, whereas when it comes to other items you know, they're happy. They're happy for those. So we're seeing different. We're seeing different percentages of digital depending on what the category is. You know, for some clothing retailers, the digital surge has been massive. Air dehumidifiers and and other things that we've needed over the last couple of months, those things are you know flying out the flying out the door online.
0: Online, right, right.
1: Yeah, so we're seeing, you know, we're seeing different growth patterns in different areas, but we're certainly seeing digital on the rise.
0: Right, so there's no question about that. It's just the quantum or the velocity of that rise, which has surprised me given we've, we've had so much, you know, lockdowns. But, you know, you, you, you have been close with uh, Mecca. You mentioned Mecca earlier. You've been close working with Mecca for, for, I think, a couple of years now. What's going on there in terms of the the online versus uh, retail experience bricks and mortar Uh, ratio, Joe, because I think you've got all your systems in there, right? Uh,
1: Yeah, they they use our commerce and our marketing cloud platforms. Um, I can't speak to their numbers, but um, I can certainly tell you that they, you know, from what was fundamentally um, a a bricks and mortar brand pre-pandemic, I mean, they were primarily bricks and mortar, and, and that was the model that they knew and were so good at. Um, their ability to move into this digital world and make sure that, you know, for me as a consumer, I can chat with a consultant, I can um, see, you know, Dr. Dennis Gross, who's an incredible, um, you know, brand from the, from the US, I can actually see the founder talk to me about my skincare regime and, and run me through a program, you know, the, the accessibility that digital affords for brands like Mecca and customers of theirs to connect with those brands is pretty incredible. Um, and Obviously, loyalty, you know, loyalty is the topic we're certainly going to discuss today mm. um, because it is it is the hottest topic, I think, when it comes to retail right now. Mecca are ahead of the curve, you know. They've had their Beauty Loop program for many years now. And it's interesting whenever I talk to anyone about Mecca and whenever the team at Mecca talk to anyone, the first thing they tell you is their Beauty Loop position, you know. Or are they a Beauty Loop Level 3 member or Two or one, you know, three is the top. I'm sure you already know that, Paul.
0: Yeah, I'm invite only, um, so I'm not there. But just on that, before we get into, because I I am really interested around this loyalty stuff, Joe. But define loyalty. Are you talking about rewards points and you know collecting, or are you talking about loyalty in terms of generating loyalty through good, uh, good service and good experience? What, what, where, how are you defining it? Old versus new?
1: Yeah, you're kind of talking about. Loyalty marketing versus a loyalty program, right? Um,
0: so, what are you talking about as in terms of loyalty?
1: There's is a loyalty program, but but it is about customer centricity. And Paul, I was reading um, just the other day that customer centricity is the top term for Twitter in February this year. Mm. And so, it's obviously something. I mean, we've been talking about it for years, but it's obviously something that everybody's talking about. And I think loyalty, you know, the essence of loyalty is about, you know, living and breathing your customers, knowing, you know, for Mecca, knowing the products that they love, knowing the types of events they want to go to, knowing um, how they like to shop, where they like to shop, you know, what's important to them when it comes to delivery, all of those things, um, they want to then, you know, be able to offer and reward their customers for their loyalty. On so, hey, we'll give you free shipping, or hey, we'll, you know, guarantee a, a two day turnaround, or uh, whatever. But obviously, that's not an easy feat. Like they make it look simple, um, but it requires it requires a lot of um, a lot of change management within an organisation to really embrace loyalty. And I think that's, you know, that's the challenge that we're starting to see.
0: You've got good visibility across, you know, across the retail sector. The standout you've said is Mecca, where is everyone else and what are they, are they still relying on those loyalty programs without the customer centricity? For example, you know, there's essentially shop, collect your collect your reward points and, and convert them to, uh, you know, a flight is not necessarily – engendering um, sort of loyalty from a, from an individual's perspective. It's just sort of almost buying it, really. It's sort of saying, here, here's a reward. It's a reward rather than loyalty in some ways.
1: Yeah, well, some of the most valued um, loyalty programs are, you know, with the airlines. Mm. Obviously, the, the grocers have got their loyalty programs. We also see, um, you know, loyalty programs like Maya's loyalty program has been around, um, I learnt, just last week for 18 years um you know, so there there have been different loyalty programs in the market um, that you know are mostly based on sort of discounts or the points program that you're talking about, and now consumers want more they want they want you to they really do expect you to know who they are and how they shop with you and how often they shop with you and do they go into the store do they do it online and do they talk to consultants and do they have a service ticket outstanding and no, they really expect you to know all of that. And if a competitor is offering it, then, you know, watch out.
0: That's the sort of the North Star uh, scenario you just painted. How many uh, retailers in this market are there or how, where are they on that on that spectrum or that trajectory?
1: Paul, I, I see it as a huge um, huge opportunity in this market. I think that there's um, there's a few um, who are who are doing it well, but I do think that that the world is everyone's oyster, right? It's it's wide open. We see it as a huge opportunity to really get it right. But like I said, you've need you need to actually figure out. Your systems and your processes, and and go through that change management first.
0: Is that where some of the breaks come in? Because there is so much work to do in the back end around systems and and organisational design too. If you like,
1: yeah, yeah, and and like you you need to listen to your customers first, right? Actually, sort of go out and do that. It's that sort of qual research, right? Like start to understand, like, what do they want? How does it need to look? How do do you need to show up? Um, And again, it's time consuming. It's hard. And we're all running fast, right? We're all trying to just keep up with what's right in front of us. Like you said at the start, hey, we made it through Q1. (laughs) We're all just hanging on.
0: Yay. Yeah. In terms of when we talk about where where retailers are feeling um, the most pressed right now, um, what is that? What are those areas based on the conversations you're having with your with your partners? Um, and is it different between the big end of town and sort of mid level and
1: you know and smaller retailers? It's that you know I've been talking to you about this for years, Paul. But it's that single source of truth. It's that you know connecting all of my disparate sources together so that I do have that single source of truth you know how do i make sure that that i don't screw it up when i'm you know when i'm trying to have that really connected conversation with a customer when i am trying to you know recognize their loyalty how do i make sure that i really do know them and understand them and that then every interaction from then on has that layer of personalization that you know, it, it's not a one off. It's, it's an always on. It's ongoing. Um, and, and I continue to listen to them. About what's working and what's not working, and don't just assume, hey, I've, I've implemented that strategy now, I can move on.
0: What are you seeing in terms of um, in this online area with retail, um, where e commerce is sitting? Is it sitting in its own sort of area and function now? Or is, it, is it tied or underneath marketing? In some instances, it sits in the marketing team, other instances, it's, it's in the digital, you know, the chief, the territory of the chief digital officer or e commerce itself. Is there anything you're seeing there of, of changes? or or sort of consolidation or who's got responsibility for this stuff or how it's working?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a a combination of, um, you know, the CIO, CTO and the CMO. And, you know, again, we've been saying for a long time, you know, this rise of the CMTO.
0: Yes, marketing meets tech, right? Is that what you're saying?
1: Exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, the the chief digital officer is a role that we're – beginning to see more and then that comes under their remit generally or it's a component of um, but that really close connection between tech and marketing is is um, is what we're seeing everywhere and it's it's fundamentally you know very important that they're aligned
0: and what about you know enterprise or large retail versus sort of mid to smaller of town um, are there are their needs different? Well, and I guess the customers no diff- has no different needs. Their expectations is you know what they want when they want, etc. But how does that work for big and an- big and small?
1: But in some some ways, I think you know on the loyalty conversation, I think that small enterprises are managing loyalty, um, you know, in, in in much more interesting ways. And we're starting to see some of the smaller enterprises start to look at um, you know partnering up or um, sort of. I don't want to uh, – not the word conglomerate but like more of a, a, you know, sort of connected loyalty solution where –
0: So they alliances you mean or –
1: Yeah, like an alliance, yeah, effectively where they can come together and offer almost like a a pool of benefits – when you, you know, shop or you participate in a loyalty program.
0: Can you give us an example there, Joe? Who's doing that? So, so when the smaller end, was there clusters of, of retailers getting together? Is that what, am I hearing you right?
1: Yeah, yeah, they're coming together. I can't tell you yet, Paul, but you'll be the first to know when we when we can announce one of them coming off.
0: What about this 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 next subject de jour that's on everyone's lips around industry is brand purpose? You know, Salesforce is a big believer in it. A lot done, a lot of stuff. I think your net zero. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but many are still can still to be convinced about the merits of it um, in terms of as a as a as a an attraction to a customer or a consumer. Um, but you say purpose driven action has actually never been uh, more important. Um, Why do you say that and what's going on in your world?
1: We're all seeking real connections. We're all seeking, you know, deeper um, connectivity to the people and the brands and the world around us. Um, So, you know, it's no surprise that customers are saying, like we want to know what you stand for. We want to know what you're doing to give back. Mark Benioff has talked for so long about, you know, um, businesses doing well by doing good, and and we've believed that for a long time. We're seeing so many more businesses now start to understand that um, this is not just something to do in your spare time. This has to be front and center, and. I can speak to a number of the initiatives that we're working on locally. I think they're really interesting. Um, the thing is, this is a, it's a long-term strategy, right? Being values led being, you know, doing well by doing good. It's not a, you can't like measure it, you know, in the next quarter and go, yes, you know, well done us. Like, You've got to you've got to really get behind it and um, and do it for the long term.
0: What I still um, grapple with on this front, though, is that yes, you have um, some products and services which are overtly purpose driven, and the, the usual suspects get rolled out, whether it be Patagonia or whether it be Thank You in the in the in the grocery supermarkets. You know, there's a there's a purpose, a social purpose to that one. There's sometimes an environmental purpose. So there are products and brands which really deepen in that in that in that thinking and in that positioning. But for the great masses, does, does all this brand purpose stuff that we talk about, does it actually sway a purchasing decision or is it actually something in the background? It's nice to know, but it doesn't swing a, swing a purchase. Um, Do you have a thought on that or thoughts even, Joe?
1: I do. You know, I, I hear it anecdotally and I read about it, um, as well. And, and it absolutely does, you know, and I hear it, whether I'm in interviews with um, new, you know, potential employees, or whether I'm with customers, that it, it absolutely is. I mean, we start, you know, senior briefings with customers talking about our values and our purpose and how aligned we are. And, um, and customers, you know, tell us, this is, you know, this is a big part of why we want to work with you.
0: So that's a corporate customer, I'd imagine. So if we talk about a consumer like I totally understand. I think I I think I get the argument about it being a good talent acquisition tool, right? So particularly for companies like like yours and particularly for people perhaps, um, you know, under 30s, under 35s, which is really important to have those value-driven positions. So talent uh, acquisition I get, but what about the masses so not your corporate customers not your enterprise customers not b2b but the consumer and their purchasing of products or services does it still sway them or they just it's a nice to know
1: absolutely look at look at what's been happening around you know flood relief um and and our friends at cotton on right
0: we better explain to the listener what cotton on has been doing which, by the way, is a massive retailer, in case you don't know. I mean, it's literally, you know, the numbers that I can sort of see. So they're, they're a couple of billion in sales and they're global. So it's, it's a Australian, great Australian story that's probably undertold. But uh, anyway, what are they doing?
1: Yeah, so they ran a campaign from um, the 11th of March to uh, the 27th of March. And they were raising money through their Cotton On Foundation via the Red Cross for the Queensland and New South Wales Floods Appeal. I know their goal was was to hit 500,000, which is huge, and they were laser-focused on achieving that. 100% of proceeds from Cotton On Foundation product sales and donations were donated. They raised 583,000. Their goal was 500,000
0: and that's again part of the this is part of the purpose uh, alignment you're talking about
1: Absolutely it, it, it's it's about community you look at some of the stories that are coming out of Queensland and New South Wales um, about where people are you know where people are going they're going to they're going to Woolies and Coles they're going to Bunnings they're going you know they're relying on companies like Cotton On all of these retailers are they are Front and center in the community, they are holding the community together. You know, that's that's um, that's an incredible part of of what we're seeing from retailers that um, that I I think is just wonderful in times of crisis.
0: Give us a couple of your top-line key initiatives at Salesforce around this because you are net zero. I think you're, you're, you're planting billions or trillions of trees and in Australia you're, you're sort of regenerating or replanting farmland back into forest. Is, have I, am I got any of those things right?
1: Yeah, we're involved in the Trillion Trees Project. Locally we've planted over 150,000 native trees on some restored land in Victoria and it's, it was formerly known as Pearson. It's now known as Nullumburra Land. I think I've got that right. And so that's a partnership with Greenfleet and the Jaja Warrung people.
0: Solar farms, you, you're doing solar stuff. You've got a solar project on?
1: Yep. In October 2020, we announced the first international renewable energy agreement uh, with the Bluegrass Solar Farm in the Western Downs of Queensland. We also, you know, we've we made a donation during the bushfires. Um, we have our own climate action plan, um, and also we've we've recently launched our own net zero cloud solution for our customers, so that they can actually start to um, manage their own impact.
0: Well this is interesting you bring it up right because it's um, because um, data processing and servers and cloud is actually a really high energy use right so keeping the keeping servers keeping these data farms actually cool and functioning is a big energy source so um, salesforce is thick in the middle of that that's what we do yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so what is that what is that what is a net zero cloud source look like
1: well, effectively, it's, again, that single source of truth, right? So how do we help organisations to understand, you know, what are um, what do their emissions actually look like? Um, how do they get that full view of um, scope one, two and three emissions throughout their supply chain um, and waste management information? And how do they actually then start to manage that and take action um, and also, you know, through the amazing tools we have, we can help them visualize how they're going. You know, if they're setting those goals, and we know that a lot of a lot of um, customers in the retail space have, you know, 2023 and 2025 net zero goals. So, how do they? How do they understand what their current footprint looks like, and how do they understand what it's going to take to get to those goals?
0: So, just um, before we move on to our uh, our final um, theme, going back to MJ Bale, did they do it because they just think it's the right thing to do, or are they are they doing it and seeing some sort of impact from customer? Is it a customer loyalty uh, initiative? Is it a customer acquisition? What happens with 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 MJ Bale's strategy around that?
1: I can't speak to to their reasons. You know their sort of reasons for doing or the impact of doing, but I know um, from speaking to their senior leaders that it very much was about doing the right thing, but they've seen they've seen the benefits of doing that and and being a fast and first mover in that space.
0: Brand purpose links to employee wellness as well, really. There's a linkage there. You know, you think about what people are wanting from their companies. Um, what they, how they want them to present, how they want them to behave in market, and then how that they feel about that, and beyond. So if we think about uh, the rise of employee wellness as the final theme, Joe, it used to be ping pong tables and, and drinks carts and a bit of and a food hall, but that's that's we've moved on. We're moving on from that for, in terms of employees and, um, and what they want, what they're doing, and that'll get us too into what the new norm looks like for workplace. And Salesforce has got some interesting things that you're doing yourselves, but um, key themes there.
1: We've all heard every organisation talk about flex, flex models and flexible working, and we've found overwhelmingly that the majority of our employees. So, so we've got a lot of stats on this, Paul. Sixty-four percent of our employees actually prefer the flex model, which is in our our definition of that is between one to three days in the office, and and they see they really see. The office is a place to collaborate with with teams, with their leader, with other with you know other people that they work with, that they maybe don't get to interact with on a daily basis through their daily workings, and that home is now a place for productivity. So times have changed and that's how people are seeing things. And also, Paul, interestingly, Thursday is the new Monday. In the office.
0: Are you seeing that? Is that what happens at Salesforce?
1: Yeah. So now Wednesday to Thursday, about you know seventy percent of the collaboration space is utilized on Wednesday and Thursday, whereas Monday to Tuesday is only between fifty and sixty percent. So um, so we're really starting to max out those collaboration spaces, particularly on a Thursday, when people you Know want to come in and they want to be together and they want to connect.
0: There's still diverging agendas, though, right, Joe? Because I think, on the same in the same maybe it's the same research, I think you talk about 59% of people leaders wanting their people in the office and but the people going, yeah, only for collaboration. Like, there are there is some divergence at the moment, yes. Talk us through that, yeah,
1: yeah. Most employees have, have got their um, needs and wants. So, um, yeah, 59% of our people leaders are uh, attending and attended during the period that we monitored. Um, And then employees are saying that, you know, they're actually getting some good access to their leaders and their team from home. So when they come in, they actually want, you know, true collaboration. They want time. They don't want to be stuck in meeting rooms. They want to actually be able to sit out amongst their team and connect. We all want connection. So it's not enough to have the ping pong table. Um, They actually want the time to be able to be around the ping pong table. And yes, they want the food, but they also want, you know, beautiful um, kind of attractive spaces to collaborate in. And we're actually, I don't know if you've noticed, Paul, but we're building a tower down in Circular Quay.
0: I was literally just about to ask you that question, Joe, because it's a big fancy, you know, it's a high-profile tower that would have required a lot of design. And I'm just asking, through COVID, did, what happened? Has it changed? What you do with the office tower now, has it changed?
1: Yeah, so... Um, you know, we're all pretty excited. We're um, we're we're moving in there early next year.
0: About sixty stories high.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, That's tall. It's fifty three to be exact, Paul. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, it's an amazing space. Where the old um, Jacksons on George used to be. I'm sure he spent a bit of time there, right?
0: <laughs> a long time ago.
1: <laughs> and um we're, we're having to really rethink um, what does that space look like interesting fact is um, it's concrete building so we don't have any of those big pylons in the middle so we can mm. we can create lots of big open um, networking spaces and in fact the top floor is going to be our community floor where we'll actually be able to have um, you know our partners our customers uh, not-for-profits come in and actually use the space to also connect and collaborate
0: so it's a bit open source that that floor is it
1: it's really creating community right, right? it's creating a space where um we can have events um you know be catered it's going to be probably the best view in sydney yeah it, it's pretty exciting but yes
0: so how are the changes how have you redesigned um the building and the office for what people want now which is more collaboration I, i'm imagining maybe there was more cubicles and boxes before and and now
1: yeah I mean- I mean the the furniture I mean we've had to create beautiful um, but functional spaces right where people can get together and they can have a chat and have a coffee and um but also you know like do some brainstorming and do some you know virtual whiteboarding and really start to um kind of have that thinking breathing space and um you know people are coordinating with each other um when they're going to be in the office and where they're going to be, people want to have fun at work. you know they they really um, they really want to have those connections in, in beautiful spaces, but in meaningful ways and um, and and with all the food and beverages to go along with it. <laughs>
0: Joy. Uh, and so to, to wrap this up then, what's the big takeout for you in terms of the, on, on the, on the employee wellness? Is there a difference by demographic or age group or is it personality type? I think you talked this as much about personality. Example being having a conversation with an agency group actually um, a few weeks back who talked about how their tech team really came together, came to the office sort of once a week because it was, it was a good Time to get together, but then they all just want to work alone, home in their dungeons. Um, whereas the creative teams uh, and some of the other uh, media types wanted to be in the office more and hanging out. So, um, is is there? The, the, I guess the question is: Are you seeing any consistency or, or, or patterns in the sorts of people doing what from home and the office?
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, you know fundamentally we've talked about. Um, introversion, extroversion for so long and I think different personality types.
0: You're an introvert, right?
1: <laughs> so are you. Um, cope, you know, with different circumstances. But I think by being at home, so that, you know, productive place, they actually have more time for wellness, they're telling us. So they can actually plan um, to go get out for a walk with the dog or, um, you know, to get a bit of sunshine or do things that perhaps they're not doing in the office. Um, and so, you know, with working from home several days a week, they're managing that, that wellness. Um, we are seeing that uh, salespeople tend to like to be together. You know, they also like to, to to meet at lunchtime and, and hang out together. And then, but it's, but it's very much a, a broad, um, cross section, you know, there are, there are some people who, um, who want to be in every day and there are some people who just want to come in once a week.
0: Great convo, Joe uh, Joe Gaines. Um, some very interesting stuff going on in the retail sector and with people, purpose uh, and the rest. I think you've probably articulated a couple of things there which may have me rested, you know, convinced a little bit, but we'll, we'll keep con- keep having conversations on that. Hey, stay safe and um, let's loop back around for an update, maybe in a couple of quarters to see what's happening in, um, in retail and consumer uh, trends. Thanks for joining, Joe.
1: Thanks so much, Paul. Speak soon.
0: This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free.
1: Listener.